Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. I had a whole bunch of people send me this case, and we're not actually talking about the case itself. We're talking about the procedure and the process that preceded a case getting to the U.S. Supreme Court, because something very, very strange happened. And so we've had a flurry of opinions from the Supreme Court recently, and one of them involved a, a website company that didn't want to make a website for a gay marriage. And they said that they believed it was their right to refuse to do that. And so the Supreme Court said, we'll hear this case, and then they ruled on that case. And I'm not going to talk about the ruling, because to my mind, the ruling is not the important part of this story. What's important in this story is the fact that it appears that somebody pulled a fast one on the court system. Because the guy who was allegedly behind ordering a gay wedding uh, website uh, said he had no idea what anybody was talking about when they contacted him. He goes, I didn't even hear about this before. That's, my name was used. Uh, and he goes, by the way, I'm married to a woman. Uh, and I have been for 10 years. So obviously, I'm not out trying to get a website put together for my upcoming gay wedding. And so... It's a problem because, generally speaking, the courts, especially the Supreme Court, don't hear theoretical cases. They'll say there has to be an actual controversy. That's the phrase they often say, actual controversy. So a lot of times people will go to court and say, I want a ruling on something because I want to find out if I would get in trouble for doing this or that, but I haven't done it yet. And the courts have often said, we won't hear that case until something actually happens. Because as of right now, there's no controversy there, right? There's, there's no actual controversy. So this is the case that NewRepublic.com, they first reported it. It's been now reported by a lot of places who've done some more checking on this. And it's baffling to everybody. But Melissa Gira Grant wrote, The mysterious case of the fake gay marriage website, The Real Straight Man, and The Supreme Court. Because in filings in that case called 303 Creative was a supposed request for a gay wedding website. But the man named in the request says he never filed it. And it's not just simply that there's a name and they found a name and the guy goes, oh, that's not me. There was a name, an address, a phone number, all this information that went to this guy. And he goes, it wasn't me. Somebody just used my information without asking me. And so... Long before the Supreme Court took up the case uh, concerning a Colorado web designer who refused to make websites for same-sex weddings and sought an exemption from anti-discrimination laws, there was a couple named Stewart and Mike. According to court filings, Stewart contacted the plaintiff in this case uh, back in 2016 about his wedding to Mike early next year, saying that He would love some design work done for our invites, place names, etc. We might also stretch to a website. And then Stewart included his contact information, including his phone number, email address, and the URL of his own website. Now, interestingly, the guy whose name got used is a website designer, which also shows you the absurdity of him asking someone else to make him a website. But so... This writer here, Melissa Gira Grant, decided to call Stewart and get his side of the story. Now, Stewart was not a litigant in this case. He wasn't a party. 
But somebody said this guy contacted us, and the result of his contact is that we are now concerned we're going to get in trouble. So they filed the action after that happened. So the Supreme Court delivered its opinion recently. Uh, it was a 6-3 to three in favor of the web designer. And the writer here says it took just a few minutes. I'm sorry. It was a 6-3 to three decision in favor of the web designer who refused to make the website on behalf of the guy who didn't contact them. Um, it took just a few minutes to reach him. I assumed at least some reporters would have done that by now because his contact information wasn't redacted in any of the court filings. But when she got a hold of him, he said it was the very first time I've heard of it. And that is his name, his phone number, his email address, and a website on the inquiry form. He never sent the form, he said. And at the time it was sent, he was married to a woman. If somebody's pulled my information as some kind of supporting information or documentation, somebody's falsified that, he explained. And so his last name is not included in the filing, so the author simply refers to him by his first name here as Stuart. But the interesting thing is that all of the other information was left in the filings, including his phone number. He goes, I wouldn't want anybody to make me a wedding website because I'm married. I have a child. I'm not really sure what that came from, but somebody's using false information in a Supreme Court document. So here's what we know. Although, to be frank, the author says, I do not know what we've learned from this year-long mystery, other than it looks like the website company that's a party to the case and their attorneys have possibly unwittingly invented a gay couple in need of a wedding website in a case in which they argue that same-sex marriages are fake or false. And uh, it would appear that this one also would have been false because that guy is not the one who asked for it. So when the attorneys for the company that brought this action uh, brought this case the first time, it was to a U.S. district court in Colorado, and they lost. So they filed a case in September 20th of that year asking the court to enjoin the state's anti-discrimination law so that she could begin offering her wedding website design services to straight couples only. Up to this point, she had never designed any wedding website for anybody. And in fact, her website, six months prior to the lawsuit being filed, does not include any of the messaging that it did shortly afterwards and does today. So the initial lawsuit did not mention the inquiry from the alleged gay couple, which was submitted to the website on September 21st, according to the date stamp shown in later court filings. And so it indicates that she received it the day after the suit was originally filed. So the lawsuit gets filed, and whoa, look at this. We just happen to have a filing that matches what we're complaining about. And keep in mind that most attorneys would tell you that if you want to bring an action like this, it would make more sense if you actually had it happen to you than addressing a theoretical or hypothetical situation. So it is unclear exactly when or if the inquiry from Stewart was examined and verified in the course of the legal battle. Uh, his phone number is on the documents, among other things. In a motion filed by the defense back in 2016, arguing the case should be dismissed, they state that the web designer has received no actual inquiries for services and therefore suffered no injury. The following month, in its response... They did not mention the September 2016 inquiry from Stewart to refute the defense's claims. Rather, they merely stated that it was not necessary to have received an inquiry in order to challenge the law 
over a feared consequence of denying services to a same-sex couple. But in February of 2017, the attorneys representing the side, again, that doesn't want to make a website, included the text of the Stewart inquiry and argue its relevance to the case. Notably, any claim that she will never receive a request to create a custom website celebrating a same-sex ceremony is no longer legitimate because she has received such a request. Some people would find that timing, by the way, it's a four-page article. Some people would find that timing suspicious. That one side says, you've never received such a request. And boom, they get a request. Look, we got a request. Now, the sad part is that nobody followed up on it. So a lot of people dropped the ball here. And I'm not sure if that's an apt description anymore, because generally speaking, if I drop the ball, you've got to pick it up for you to drop it. But the ball never got picked up. It's just a bunch of people dropped it. <laughs> so I always assume that's a football reference. Maybe it's a rugby reference. I don't know. But the point is that the woman who makes websites and wants to make wedding websites, she says, says, I don't want to do any wedding websites for gay marriages because I consider them to be fake. That's what she puts in the pleadings. So the case winds its way through the system, and somebody says, you've never received such a request. And her attorneys go, no, look, she did. Right here, she did. And they, and they, and they, and they present one, okay? They, they show the other side, we got this. And it turns out, it appears, that that request was fake. And now I know some people are going to say, Steve, isn't it possible that that guy did this because he doesn't believe in gay marriage and now is just backpedaling? Well, that's possible. And the writer of this article points out that's possible also. But it just seems very strange that somebody would put their name, phone number, address, web address, all that stuff into documents that get filed in court and then when asked about them, go, oh, that's not me. If they've got such strong feelings that they're willing to get involved in something like this. Because that also means that, presumably, if somebody contacted him during litigation, he would have said the same thing. At the very least, somebody would have said, well, what's your wife think about all this? You requesting a, a gay wedding website for your upcoming wedding to a man. <laughs> so it's a really, really weird case. Now, I will tell you, that when the Supreme Court heard oral arguments, this issue never came up. And also, it never came up whether or not there was ever an official request for a gay wedding website. And the court appears to have said, it doesn't matter, because the law is out there. And if she's fearful of that law affecting her, we're going to hear the case based on that fear, saying her fear creates an actual controversy. And... There have been situations like that before, where somebody looks at a situation and goes, look, there's a law on the books, and the consequences of breaking that law appear to be so severe that I'm fearful of doing something that I think should be lawful. And courts will occasionally hear those cases, but they don't hear them as often as you'd think. I've mentioned before that the Supreme Court gets thousands and thousands of submissions and they dig through those submissions, and they, and they allow maybe 1% or 2%, and I think it might even be lower than that, uh, especially in a, in a civil case. But the exact numbers, I forgot. I haven't, I haven't looked at them most recently, but I know it's literally, literally a small, minuscule fraction. If, if somebody had actually pled the true facts here and said, um, this 
fake request got submitted to this woman to build a gay wedding website. She doesn't want to, despite the fact the request is fake. Um, can you hear this case at the Supreme Court level? Uh, there's a very good chance the Supreme Court would have said, no, we don't hear cases involving fake facts. We don't. But they ruled on it anyway, and it appears they may have ruled on it otherwise, even if they'd known. But the real question is, one, would they? We don't know. But two, who did file this thing, and why did they use a real person's name, address, and phone number? That, to me, is the big mystery. So, in case you're curious, the Supreme Court did say that she does not have to make the gay wedding websites for gay couples, fake or otherwise. Uh, that's what they said. So that's the ruling there. I'm not going to get into that. To me, that's a little bit too political for this channel. And by the way, uh, I think people say, Steve, you should get involved in those. Um, the people who disagree with it are going to continue disagreeing with it. The people who agree with it are going to continue agreeing with it. And all that's going to happen is if I pick a side, the other side's going to go, oh, no, you're wrong. And if I pick the other side, the other side's going to say, no, you're wrong. And so <laughs> not going to get involved in that one. But I am going to tell you that I find this very, very unusual. I am unaware of any other cases that have been brought to and argued before the Supreme Court where they've issued an opinion where it can be proven that a fact that large was fake going in and nobody caught it. That's the crazy part. Nobody caught it because there's always journalists out there looking for an angle on a case. And so one angle here would have been, let's call up the gay couple behind that request that was mentioned in the pleadings and talk to them. How do you guys feel that you just simply wanted to get married and now you're in front of the Supreme Court, figuratively speaking? And if they called this guy, he'd go, number one, I'm not gay. Number two, I never filed that request. That's strange. And then the question is, if that had come out earlier, you better bet that the other side would have argued that and would have said, you guys, gals on the Supreme Court, the bench, this case is moot because the underlying facts are fake. We don't know who faked them, but there is a problem there. So crazy case, the mysterious case of the fake gay marriage website, The Real Straight Man, and the Supreme Court from NewRepublic.com. Melissa Gira Grant wrote that. A whole bunch of people sent it. Thanks a lot. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. In the end, you will talk more about the journey and not the destination.